So, last Sunday evening, we, are, uh, we started to look at uh, the third plague found in chapter 8, which is the, the plague of lice. And then to pick up also with the, uh, the plague of flies toward the end of uh, chapter 8. So we talked about uh, uh, the flies. Let's see. Let me back up here. Yeah. So the Lord had uh, said to Moses in verse 20, he was going to distinguish the Hebrew people from the Egyptian people. Uh, and he did. And in verse 24, the plague of the flies does uh, uh, descend on the Egyptian people. And then in verse 25, we find, of course, that uh, the uh, Pharaoh calls for Moses, and he makes a, um, a not-so-serious attempt again to, to mollify the work of uh, of Yahweh. In verse 25 it says, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land, which was the land of Goshen. And Moses had already told him that the Lord said, You need to let my people go into the wilderness for three days and uh, to offer sacrifice uh, to me. And that's what Moses reminds him of. So there's a compromise, and this is one of the things that sin does. Sin attempts to compromise with the, uh, uh, the holy nature of God. And, of course, there's, there's no compromise. So, uh, verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go, but you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you're not going very far. You're going, and the other thing I want to ask, I want you to intercede for me. For I'm the Pharaoh. I'm the uh, big man on campus, so intercede for me so that this uh, plague would uh, stop. So he agrees to the holiday, but only partially. And then he, uh, of course, wanting to assuage his ego, he asked Moses to intercede with Yahweh uh, for him. Now, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, one of the commentaries uh, that he has written, that he wrote, rather, on this particular passage, said that evil is always suggesting some compromise. To listen to it is to remain enslaved. Um, and we, we, I'm sure you find it in your own life. You have to be very careful of the, of the uh, subtle nature of Satan. The only way into liberty is to leave the land of evil, to go accompanied by the women and the children, as the Lord said here uh, in the middle portion of chapter 8. It is when that attitude is assumed that men pass out from all bondage and find the liberty which is in the purpose of God for them. And... As always, the work of the Lord is accomplishing his uh, sovereign will in the life of Pharaoh, but also in the life of Moses. So Moses, his character is beginning to, or is, is growing during those, these times of the plague. Verse 30, so Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people, not one remained, but, Pharaoh's, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. So this is the third plague. And you will find a cycle here. Every third plague, 
the first two of the, of the groups of three, the Lord warns Pharaoh. The third plague, he doesn't. So it's been said that when you see these, uh, these in the scriptures, these, the correlation of the number three, whether it be plagues or perhaps miracles or whatever, that it is in reference to the Trinity. We read about the Spirit of God, obviously, who is God and who authored the scripture. And so that's what we're seeing here. The first two, the Lord warns Pharaoh. The third one, not so much. So let's look at, uh, okay, that's the fourth plague, rather, that one of flies. And so let's look at chapter 9. Let's read down through uh, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, and on the camels, and on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence, and the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. That the heart of Pharaoh became, but the heart of Pharaoh rather became hard, and he did not let the people go. So a continuing type of of drama, if you will, that unfolds when we come to the uh, the Passover. So. Uh, let's see. So there's a false repentance at the end of, of chapter 8. And uh, the Lord uh, Moses beseeched um, Jehovah on, on behalf of Pharaoh. He does remove the swarm of flies. And the thing that we need to remember here is that Pharaoh's tone does not change. And this happens quite often. We see it today among our leadership. It is difficult to get any leadership to admit that they have sinned, that they have made a mistake. They, they tend to plow ahead with the, with the thought process, well, the people are really not perhaps intelligent enough to know what's going on. So this is something here of the attitude of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's tone was such that he believed he owned and controlled Israel. And he had. Obviously, he and his, uh, uh, the generations before had owned and controlled Israel. Spurgeon said, preaching a sermon on this particular passage, they were not Pharaoh's people. Pharaoh never chose them, and he had never brought them where they were. He had not fought with them and overcome them. They were not captives in war. They were immigrants, nor did they dwell in the territory which was a spoil of fair conflict. So what we're seeing here is not a captive people, a people that had been enslaved, but they were immigrants that had uh, matriculated into the um, uh, land of Egypt. And of course he says intercede, knows exactly who the plagues came from. And now we begin to see that Pharaoh is acknowledging that the Hebrew God does exist. Heretofore, he said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? 
Uh, and obviously the Lord, and we'll see here in chapter 9 as well, the Lord is, uh, is, is confronting Pharaoh and asking, or he's confronting him with the, with the attitude that I am the Lord, you need to humbly appeal to me. And that was not in the vocabulary of, uh, uh, of Pharaoh. One of the things about the hardening of heart, and this happens today, um, in 50 years of ministry, 45 to 50 years of ministry, I've seen it time and time again. The word of the Lord accomplishes two things. It either softens hearts or it hardens hearts. And that's what we're seeing here. And this is found repeatedly through the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament. It softens hearts or it hardens hearts. And so we as believers need to trust the Spirit of God so that when we, we understand that our hearts perhaps are becoming hard, that we repent of that and ask the Spirit of God to open our hearts. As we continue in sin, the last bullet here, and we reject God's opportunities for us to repent and return, the hardening continues. It is hard, if you remember, in Acts chapter 9, when Saul of Tarsus was converted and became Paul the Apostle, when he was converted uh, and Saul called out to them, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord replied, he said, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goats, to kick against the shins. You're not going to win, Paul, or at that time, Saul. You're not going to win. Same thing here. We never win in a confrontation with the Lord. Now, we may exude and use our wills, but that doesn't mean we've won. It just means that the hardening continues. And again, it's one of the, one of the continual teachings of the Word of God. It's commonly seen. King Saul in the Old Testament predecessor of David. He, when he was um, first selected and anointed as king of Israel, he was a very humble man, didn't last very long. And his heart continually grew hard. Uh, and when God's word is rejected and unbelief controls our sin nature, it doesn't have to work very hard. The sin nature is such that we are unbelievers to begin with. We are suspicious of God. We think he's out to do something to us rather than to, in his mercy and his grace, to love and restore us. So Pharaoh's heart issue was one of unbelief and his fear that Yahweh would eventually humble his soul. And we find that after the Passover, but what we find, obviously, is that it was an incomplete repentance. He repented, and he said, you guys can go, get out of here, and then he changed his mind. So one of the great lessons that we have here in the book of Exodus is that uh, being aware of the Spirit of God or our negligence in uh, in believing the Word of God and the way the Spirit of God will move to hardened hearts. And believe me, that's the removal of the Spirit hardens hearts. 
So we have to be careful there. All right, the disease on the livestock, first four verses that we've read here this evening, Moses warns Pharaoh. And here, God does announce to Pharaoh, so again, he would have an opportunity to repent. Um, And there are two things that are clear in these verses. The first one is that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, belong to him. They do not belong to Pharaoh. You may be the uh, potentate over the Egyptians, but you are not the potentate over the Israelis, over the Hebrews. Um, and again, this is a, a theme that begins here in the book of Exodus, and it carries all the way through the Old Testament. So, and the second thing that we take away from these verses is that Pharaoh was to let them go, let the Hebrew people go, for the sake of the Lord himself. God had... had uh, confronted him, and the Lord said, let my people go. And so the reason that Pharaoh was to let the people go is because the Lord had told him to let the people go. There's not a question here. Are you going to let my people go? No. Let my people go. Um, And so it's for the sake of the Lord himself, uh, and in addition, because of that, the blessing to the children of Israel. So we learn from this, and we'll move into verses 8 8 through 12, I believe, in 1 Peter 3 next Sunday morning. And that passage is on submission again, long passage, but it has to do with submission in the church. You and I being submissive to each other as we are submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in a similar fashion, we must treat each other well, not only for the sake of others, but also for his sake, because he has commanded it, and his commands are not grievous, the Scripture says. They are loving. So we owe it to the Lord to be obedient more than we owe it to them. And when we are obedient, the blessings pass to others. Now the Scripture tells us that there's a very severe pestilence that arose during this particular time. But it also says there's a distinction. And the distinction is the plague falls on the Egyptian people only. Now remember, we've had the, the uh, first plague, which was the uh, turning the Nile into blood, and then there were frogs, and then there were lice, Then there were flies. So what the Lord had done in these first three, and again, this is an attack on the Egyptian pantheon, on the Egyptian gods that that Pharaoh worshipped. And what we see here is that the Lord is, and in the beginning here, he is taking away the cleanliness of, that the Egyptian people craved in their sacrifices. Now he is taking away the actual sacrifices. So pagan thought was that you can pretty much live any way that you want to as long as you light a candle or as long as you burn some incense or as long as you have your, your family gods or your family idols and as long as you 
sacrifice to that particular God. And when you stop and think about it, that's pretty much the way people think today. I can pretty much live any way I want to and claim Jesus as my Savior as long as I can continue not to really have to change. So we see that in Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is just a, uh, he's just an image of sinners as a whole. So this pestilence that comes, the uncleanliness of the frogs, the lice, and the flies, and now the killing of the sacrificial animals themselves. So the Egyptians are looking at this as if there's no hope for them. And we see that in this particular passage, important to remember that. Pharaoh was warned that another plague would severely damage the livestock of Egypt, but it would not damage the livestock owned by Israel. And as far as we know, the Hebrew sacrificial system was not enforced during the 400 years that they were enslaved or the 400 years they were in Egypt. Perhaps some families did, but it wasn't done as a people, uh, as, a, as a whole people, as a nation of people. That begins to change now. And this points forward to the Passover, to the killing of the Arneon the pet lamb. And as we get forward after the Ten Commandments and the structure of the Le Levitical priesthood, it becomes the standard for the Hebrew people to offer sacrifices in order that they be reminded that their sin required the shedding of blood. So perhaps there was some that was done before this, but not nearly as much as would be done uh, in the next few years. So verses 5 through 7, uh, which we've read, uh, the livestock of the Israelites uh, was spared. The heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the disease came. I think the old King James talks about a, a murrain, which is a um, some type of livestock disease. I'm not familiar with it, but... Uh, uh, it uh, impacted not only the cattle, but their horses and their camels and their sheep and their goats. And perhaps even down to the poultry they had. So a very, very devastating plague. And the plague was directed against the Egyptian god Hathor, who was thought to be the mother goddess in the form of a cow. Um, today, Hindus still, in some cases, but they, they uh, subscribe to reincarnation. So uh, animals in India, of course, now Hinduism is also in America as well, but in India they're considered to be sacred, and so quite often they are, uh, they are not killed. If you go back in antiquity, and there is a, a record of an ancient battle that the Egyptians lost, because their enemies put a herd of cattle in front of their advancing troops. And the Egyptian sh soldiers wouldn't shoot, wouldn't, wouldn't use the archery that they had, the bows and arrows, or the spears. They wouldn't shoot at the opposing army for fear of killing the sacred cows. So these types of 
And we talk about religion, and we talk about the way the pagans worship. They, they, this was ingrained in them. So we see that not only here, but as we go through some of the records of the kings and the middle books of the Old Testament, we see similar things that happen there as well. So Moses told Pharaoh that the Israelites would be spared, and indeed they were, and Pharaoh believed it enough to confirm this. He sent to check in the land of Goshen and see whether or not those um, the cattle of the, uh, of the Israelis had been spared, and indeed they had. So he was, he was uh, Gordon was talking this morning about Mike and baby steps. Well, this is some baby steps for Pharaoh. Just a little bit more. Okay, I just want to check this out. Oh, they have been spared. But it doesn't change Pharaoh. He's still devious, he's still conniving, he's still attempting to think that in some fashion he's going to be able to escape. So we're going to stop there this evening because we get into uh, the first plagues that impact the Egyptian people. Now heretofore, they had impacted the sacrificial system of the Hebrew people. Now they begin to impact the lives of the Hebrew people themselves. There are boils, there's uh, hail, there's locusts, so the food stocks and so forth, all these things are, are um, poured out on the Egyptian people. Um, there is a, an increasing intensity in the force of the plagues until we get to the very last one. The Lord says in the Psalms that the Hebrew people were his children. When we get to the Passover, to the last plague, the Lord takes the children of the Egyptians so that his children be spared. So consider that and let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We appreciate this passage of Scripture. We learned this many, many years ago. Perhaps some of us learned this when we were children, Father, but it's every bit as important, if not more so, today. Teach us, Lord, to trust you with the circumstances of our life. There are a lot of things right now, Father, here that Flat Creek is, is uh, undergoing that cause us to pause and to reflect. We must remember that your ways are as high above us as the heavens are. And no, we, we, must, we must admit we don't understand them. But Father, as we preach this morning, we're not called to understand every situation. We're, we're called to follow you because of who you are. And so my prayer this evening, as we depart this place, you've given us another good day in the Lord's house. And so our prayer is that you'd abide and be with us as we depart. Keep those that are participants at MC2, keep them safe this week. Father, we ask that you'd once again, with the ones that are with Mike, as he continues to, um, to make advances, we pray for him, for Robbie, for the decisions that will be made this week for Neil and others. 
we thank you that we can pray and we can beseech you. Have your sweet will, your divine way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.